Welcome to He Gets It Podcast. He, an acronym for Honoré's Enterprise, founded by Carlos and Tatum Honoré, gives speakers a provocative platform to address social, mental, and physical health issues that affect all Americans. This husband and wife duo are champions of social justice, racial disparities, and youth development. Carlos and Tatum have also created The Seed Project and has over 10 years of hands-on experience transforming the lives of at-risk youth through their nonprofit Fifth Ward Saints. For more information on The Seed Project, please visit honoraceenterprise.net. Get prepared to step out of your comfort zone with your host, Carlos Honore. All right, let's go. It's Friday, everybody. He gets the podcast live from Houston, Texas. Get ready for your breakthrough. Let's go. Has anyone ever told you you'll never amount to anything? He gets it. Afraid to take that leap of faith to do what you really want to do in your life? Huh. He gets that too. Has something happened in your life where you feel like you have no one to turn to or nowhere to go? Maybe your boss has just gotten on your nerves all week and you just need to relax. He gets it. Pour yourself a glass and tune in. We're about to get it in. He gets it podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the seventh edition of He Gets It Podcast. What number? Seven. We're seven episodes in the game already. Can you believe that? Give me that. A <laughs> and, and it's been a, a crazy ride, and we've been enjoying every second of it. So this this Friday, like we always do, we're going to kick it off the same way. Everybody get your glasses. Toast it up. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. I really like this. It's a... What is it? Pecan? It's pecan whiskey. Pecan whiskey. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, welcome you guys. Um, today we're going to be discussing policing in America. The land of the free, the home of the brave. And where we currently reside. We'll, we'll touch on three topics as it relates to policing in America. Number one being the feelings about policing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else we have? The treatment of blacks versus whites by the police. And the hopes, hopes for reform, yeah. which is to us probably the most important subtopic that we're going to cover. But we'll start with uh, the feelings about policing. And Tatum and, can, Tatum and I can only speak from um, black people's perspective. Yeah, we're black. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, that's, I'm just telling y'all that up front, so don't get mad because that's our perspective. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I guess... Wait, did you did you see the funeral today, George Floyd's funeral? Yeah, I did. I didn't get a chance to see it. How was it? Well, it was, it was very um, emotional um, for me. And, I mean, it was... They laid him, they put him to rest, you know, uh, nicely. He had a gold casket. And there were um, a lot of people there. So, um, you know... So, it was a good homecoming. Yeah, it was a good home going. That's good because he sparked so much. So much has happened as far as um, unarmed black men being killed, but for some reason, 
George Floyd's murder has sparked something in America that has, to me, feels different than any any protest that we've ever had. Even going back to the 60s and watching Dr. King march, there's something different about... um, About this. Yeah. It's something that feels broke now, and it's feel like we're in the process of fixing it. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people feel the same way. Um, uh, During the funeral, uh, Al Sharpton spoke, and he, he, it was so eloquent what he said as far as he said, um, you know, George uh, knew he would do big things in life, but he thought it was more so, you know, in basketball, NBA, but who knew? that his life would possibly change America mm-hmm. and the world. I mean, there's been protests all over the world. world. And we have never, ever seen um, such a thing. There were protests in suburban areas as well as in the big cities. And it continues to be protest, And people continue to speak out. And that's why we thought we would be remiss if we did not use our platform to speak out as well. Um, We're speaking out for ourselves as black people. We're speaking out for our children. We're speaking out for our children's children. So um, as far as the feelings of policing, I think that there is, and I think many people may agree with me, there's an imbalance of um, over-policing of black communities. And the old saying is, if you're looking for something, you're going to find something. Mm-hmm. So if you have several officers in this in these communities patrolling and they're pulling people over for things like headlights out or taillights out, and these things are, are getting exacerbated to somebody who's getting killed or brutally beaten by a cop all because of a, a light was out, and these things have been historically going on. That That's what, this is the key to this. This is not new. This is not new for the black community. When we are driving in our cars, kids, even even our grandkids, as young as they are, will say. They go to police. There, there's the police, you know, like we're doing something bad. And we're doing nothing wrong. We're just driving. But they've been conditioned by seeing things in their communities that they fear the police just by seeing them. Just by seeing a police car. And this is, you can't, you can only validate our experience. You know, you can't walk in our shoes. You know, we can't walk in your shoes. You can only hear what we're saying, listen to what we're saying, and take into consideration what we are saying. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like People don't know. You know, I think people turn a blind eye to what's going on. And I think they've had they've had their head in the sand because it doesn't affect them per se. So if it doesn't affect them, it's easy for them to dismiss it as it's not going on or it's not happening. But in the recent events, it's hard to not acknowledge the fact that there's something going on as far as policing in America. Well, have you seen the TikTok videos in which um, Caucasian children or, or other kids are talking to their parents and the parents really don't know and um, oh, the yeah. parents are, are talking about, I mean, 
There's so much racism in just households. If you guys, not to cut you off, if, if you guys don't know what Tatum's talking about, there's a TikTok challenge going around where suburbia white kids or um, kids that are privileged have a hidden camera as they talk to their parents about race. And this particular video, it was a white girl with her family. Her family called black people ghetto, uh, called them filthy. Dirty, yeah. Yeah, fil- filthy. filthy and saying that they, they want to be in the position that they want to be in. And this to hear that, it's almost like being a fly on the wall. And that's what I told Tatum when I heard it. Those conversations as black people, we're never privy to because they won't have those conversations around us. So for them to have a hidden camera there was like being a fly on the wall and hearing what goes on behind closed doors when parents have these conversations with their kids. And what they're teaching them. I mean, but I, but I was I was encouraged to hear the younger generation, her daughter, the daughter, give them such a tongue lashing on how that's not right. And how they don't want to be in the position that they're in. And how can you be racist? That's not okay. She was really defending. And that made me feel good because that's the generation that's coming up. And they can affect change. But it was so just disheartening. Mm -hmm. For me, we as black people, I will say we're good people. We are loving people. We lend a hand to whoever may need a hand. You know, people like to bring up the whole thing about black on black crime trust me black on black crime that's a whole nother issue because it stems from systemic Mm -hmm. issues that's not something that just started overnight this is something that started back 401 years when it started with slavery and separating families mm-hmm. and separating fathers from their uh, from their children and things of that nature. That is systemic. In no way, shape, or form can you think in 401 years as from slavery to um, uh, discrimination, Jim Crow laws, things of that nature. No way we as a people can be at the same level where uh, others are. Yeah, There's just, no way. Just, There's no way. <clears throat> I, I'm, we can equate it to our home. Okay, we were uh, in a hurricane and our home was flooded. Mm-hmm. Our home still has a few things that need to be done to it because there's still some damage that hasn't been from the hurricane. Yeah. And the hurricane was several years ago. So imagine... 401 years of slavery, then all of the systemic racism that continues to this day. And it upsets me when I hear people like Ben Carson. Yes, I'm calling your name out. Ben Carson, Mm -hmm. who I thought. Candace Owens, you too. Who I thought, but Ben Carson, a guy who's well-educated. I don't know much about Candace Owens. She's young and she's. I think she's just trying to put her name out there and, and mm. selling her soul. But when it comes to Ben Carson, a guy who's well-educated, who was a surgeon, who should have the knowledge. I mean, who actually grew up th- during those times mm-hmm. in which there was overt uh, discrimination and racism and laws that were not protecting us as a people why would he get on national TV and defend what 
Trump is saying and doing, well, he's not saying much. He's not saying much about the the protesters, but he has done Mm -hmm. a lot when it comes to the protesters. Not to to back him up in what he's saying. Well, for Ben Carson, not to back. He's done enough. Yeah, we had, but what I, I was saying was he has done enough as far as uh, had, uh, allowed the military to go out there and and uh, displace the crowd with tear gas mm-hmm. and all of this stuff in order for him to, to take a photo op <laughs> with the Bible held wrong. And it was awkward. It was very awkward photo. <laughs> and then come to find out he was hiding in a bunker. <laughs> yeah. But they, what was the training? Bunker boy? Yeah. <laughs> Bunker but, boy. But anyway, I digress. I digress on that. But when it comes to we as a people and our feelings when it comes to policing, we have a whole lot of feelings. And um, Carlos and I, prior to moving to the suburbs, we actually lived in um, in uh, the inner city of Houston, and I I will have to say, um, when we lived in the inner city of Houston, Houston has done a lot when it comes to um, trying to get police officers of that com- of the communities to serve in those communities. So in the area in which we live, called uh, Fifth Ward. There were a lot of police officers that were very friendly and that and who knew people in the community in which that helped as far as crime mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So I, I, I also, you know, I want to commend those that are doing well and, and doing the right thing. Now, I do know in uh, recent months and years there there's been several incidents, I think maybe about eight Uh, unarmed um, men have been killed Mm -hmm. in the Houston Houston area. area, And that's something um, that we need to start taking a look look at. But But the flip side of that, um, yeah, those police officers are from that area. If they're not from the Fifth Ward area, they're from areas that resemble the Fifth Ward. So they have a level of um, understanding understanding and empathy for Mm -hmm. the families that that they police. Mm-hmm. The problems come in when you have these police officers that have never been around uh, black families. They may have people they call black friends, but they don't understand black culture. Them being able to sympathize and understand why certain people respond a certain way to different things or different people. And their approach sometimes is wrong because there's already a, a disconnect with the police officers in those communities. So when those police, we've, we've all seen it. When those police officers get on scene, I mean, it's automatically um, rough and their their tone is, is disrespectful for no reason at all. And all you have to do, and I tell people all the time, if you watch, um, what's it, the cop show that's on now sometimes? Oh, Live PD. Live PD. And yeah. we'll talk about that later. But if you watch Live PD and you watch them go from different parts of the country when they're like in the South and Louisiana and Texas and they're handling these people, I mean, it's so disrespectful. I mean, it's like night and day. And these police officers that come in, the second and third police officers that come to a disturbance, they don't ask questions. They don't ask uh, who's right, who's wrong. They automatically come out with their with their um, anger and frustration. And they it, show, it shows on camera. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, thank you. Right. I mean... 
uh, what about that incident we had when I was uh, registering for grad school? Talk, tell them about oh, that. Yeah, we um, so Tatum had just graduated from um, Southern University, HBCU in Baton Rouge, and uh, we were coming out to Houston for her to register for graduate school. And we had, uh, at that time, our oldest son was about eight or nine, eight at the time, something like that. And he was, he was, and we were ignorant to the law. We didn't know that at, he couldn't be in the front seat between us. So we were riding and the cops pulled us over and they automatically assumed that we were doing something that we weren't supposed to do. They, they took us out the car, they separated us, and they were grilling us about what are we doing here, where are we going, what are we... All these questions, and I forget, what, what was it that you said to him? Um, I said, why are you asking us these questions? And he immediately jumped to the def- defense. Why Why are you asking me questions, and uh, we're doing this for a reason? And I was like, uh, no, you're not doing it for a reason. You know, we were driving, mm-hmm. and okay, if you're pulling us over because of our son, give us a ticket. And let us go. But apparently, the guy uh, there was a and it was a black police officer and a white police officer. And so, the black police officer happened to be in the same fraternity mm-hmm. with my husband, and that is what stopped the entire situation. Yeah, where it went from. Immediate anger by the police and aggression to, oh man, what's up? I'm sorry, mm-hmm. you know. And but if if the person did not afford the opportunity to be in the same fraternity as this police officer, it could have went differently, yeah, yeah. quickly, yeah. because they had their mind made up that we were doing something that we had no he business even doing. Said, he even said that he thought we were maybe drug traffickers. Drug traffickers, because we were in a rental car. That's what yes, it was. Yes, We were in a rental car because our poor car wouldn't have made it back then. <laughs> no. So you want to go to the next the next subtopic, or you want to have more feelings on the... The treatment. We want to talk about the treatment that we see with African Americans versus uh, Caucasians. I mean, that there's a vast difference. Like, we talked about the live PD. Yep, yep. That's, um, that's, that's one of those things where um, you can't deny it. You can't deny the treatment. I think the protests have shown that people have taken note to the treatment gap between blacks and whites. And they want to see reform. And they want to understand, better understand. You, I can't give you guys a number how many phone calls I've received of people that want to educate themselves. They have questions on how to incorporate um, diversity and inclusion in their companies, in their businesses. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's heartwarming because people really, I feel like I said earlier, something has shifted. And people now are really wanting to understand more and do what they can. And, pe- and these are people that have the power to affect change. Um, I think for so long it's just been people with uh, without a platform or people that are out for their own personal gain that are speaking out against uh, some of these things. But I now I think it's people that genuinely care and see that there's a problem and want to affect change. Yeah, I mean, because what we saw that we have never seen before 
is a modern day lynching. Yep. He was just not hanging from a tree. Mm-hmm. He died on the ground. Yep. That's what we saw. And that's what we continue to see. Going back to Live PD, there's a situation going on right now with um, Live PD. Yeah. Did you did you find the guy's name? Yeah. Uh, Javier Ambler. And every time we hear of someone who's unarmed being killed, we vow to bring up their names in each of our podcasts. So we're going to say his name, Javier Ambler. Uh, this guy lived in Fort Worth, Texas, and he was driving along the street and had a headlight out. Headlight. A headlight incident escalated to the point in which this man ended up dead with the common thread of this guy saying, I can't breathe. Hmm. The guy said, I can't breathe. He was uh, stunned with the stun guns several times. And another common denominator, the autopsy. Autopsy stated that he had congestive heart failure, mm-hmm. and I forget what the, the, the other the thing was. The common thing is that yeah. plague black yeah. communities. Yeah, and um, it was also uh, because of police restraint. It was very similar to George Floyd. So if you all are not familiar with Javier Ambler, look it up, check it out, because uh, Live PD, they're trying to not release the uh, video and, and everything uh, for it. I know there's, I don't know all of the details, but I do know there's a situation where um, some things are not, they're trying not to release some footage or something along those lines. Yeah, the way that they're saying it is they're they they're trying to stall the investigation is what the quote was, that mm-hmm. um, PD Live is trying to stall the investigation. But, you know, while we're on that subject, we need to bring up, uh, there needs to be some sort of police reform. Um, we talked earlier amongst ourselves about mm-hmm. the um, the union, the police uh, union. You were reading my mind. You the, were reading my mind. The police unions have too much power. power because people cannot vividly watch a man lose their life and then figure out a way to make it okay or to justify this cop killing this person when there was no resistance. It shouldn't even be, if you or I killed anybody in that in that way, we would be in jail the same night. There would be no investigation. There would be no um, viewing the footage. Mm-hmm. We would be in jail. And they just need to be held accountable and held to those same standards as civilians mm-hmm. because they get this macho, uh, I can't be touched attitude, and they know I was watching a, a video a couple weeks ago and this police officer ordered his officers that were in a low speed chase to take out the driver of the car by any means necessary, use lethal force is how he put it. This man was going 25 miles an hour. No, he wasn't stopping, but they shot him, killed him. And this, um, the officer came to the scene. The other guy was distraught. The one that shot him. And he said, no, I ordered you to do this. You're going to be all right. Don't worry about it. You're going to be just fine. We're going, we're, going, we're going to beat this thing. And this is why the guy is still dead on the scene. So he's basically saying, 
look, we're going to handle this. That's a good old boy um, mentality that you do what you want to do and we will we'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. No, and it's, you know, I think it's the police unions. It's the whole thing with the absolute immunity. That's why it's so difficult in order to convict a police officer. So there's, when I say, you know, marching, protesting, yeah, that's fine. But guys, we have to do so much more. There's so much that has to be done in order to really reform policing. And not just policing, when it comes to just inequities and systemic racism, which causes the rest of these issues. I do know that Congress, there's two, 200 members of Congress that have proposed, um, it's called the Justice in Policing Act of 2020. And it was just proposed the other day by Speaker uh, Pelosi. And um, there are several good things in it. Now, I think they uh, could do more. And I know it's probably hard with, because um, once it passes the uh, Congress, if it passes Congress, then it has to go to the Senate. Mm-hmm. And we do know how the Senate has been behaving o- over the past few years. Mm-hmm. But uh, when it comes to justice and policing, um, uh, several things. It's to demilitar- demilitarize uh, police. So uh, pretty much saying police do not need military gear and equipment um, and uh, taking some of those funds away for those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um it would ban the chokehold uh, and no knock warrants. There was a situation in Houston, what, last year or yep, so? about a year ago now. Where um, there was a no knock warrant that went really, really bad. And I'm going to say her name, Brianna Taylor. She's another one who was a victim of a no knock warrant. Those things, you know, we, we have to get rid of that. There will be a national register of police conduct. If we have a police officer that's um, intervening in a situation with us, we want to know if they have some kind of background. We want to know if they have like 13 complaints. Like the guy Chauvin, you know, I, I forget how many complaints he had, he had against he had him. Yeah, 17 in 18 years. 18. 17 in 18 years. Well, I, I know I want to know yeah. if I'm dealing with somebody who has that many complaints about them. Actually, I want to know why that person has not been fired. So that's one thing that I do know that is not in uh, that policing act is uh, more uh, citizen uh, oversight. And I think that's something that I would like to see Speaker Pelosi and, and the other uh, Congress people um, at some point add to that. We um, need to have more transparency mm-hmm. and we need to have, we as a people, we the people need to have transparency and we need to be able to have oversight of the people that we pay. Yep. And that's only, this is the federal level, guys. So this is only federal. You know, when it comes to the state, I have not heard anything. Not a peep. Not a cricket. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. Zero. So we, you know, we're Texans. We live in Texas. So 
we Texans, we need to start writing our congressmen and letting them know, you know, these things are not okay. Yep. I took I took the liberty of doing some research before we started talking yeah. about this because I wanted to have some concrete numbers that I thought that would impact our listeners um, to kind of bring it home. And it's not this is based on Americans, not just black Americans, not just Hispanic Americans, but all Americans. Some statistics that I thought that I would I would bring to you guys. The first one I have is every seven hours thinking about this every seven hours. Someone is killed by a police officer. Fifty-two percent of the cops say they've turned their blind, turned a blind eye to improper policing. For instance, in the George Floyd case, the officer that was standing there, pushing all the other onlookers back, telling they were the, the civilians were telling the police he can't breathe, get off him, and instead of him telling the officers, "Okay, guys, get off of him. Enough is enough." He pushed back. So that's the one that's the kind of policing that turns a blind eye to improper policing. Eighty four percent of police witness fellow officers using more than necessary force. Eighty four. Eighty four percent. Eighty four percent is high. If if I had eighty four percent of complaints against me, I'd be fired from my job. (laughs) I would. too. Yeah. Um, There was one more that I thought I needed so 43% of officers say that following rules is not compatible with getting the job done. So what does that mean? 43% of officers say that them following the rules that are set forth by the police unions and local police departments aren't compatible with them getting the job done on the beat or in the streets. So basically saying... They have to bend the rules and disobey some rules because in order to to get the job done in some cases. And that's 43% of the police. I don't know if most of you all know that there's going to be a march on Washington in August. Um, I don't know the exact date, but I think the 20-something of August. But, um, you know, look out for that. I think it's going to be led by the Floyd family and... Mm -hmm. um, and Al Sharpton. Um, but um, again, for we more information to on how to book Carlos to speak at your next event or to, to inquire about our seed curriculum, please so log on to honoraysenterprise.net to, to us. or you can contact and, us at 832 545 um, To not only inspire, we wanted to educate. Well, before we wrap it up, I, 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 I do want to say. We don't want you guys to think that we are categorizing all police officers. Mm. We don't think that all police officers are bad. I know there's a small percentage of bad police out there, but that small percentage is wreaking havoc on the United States. There are good cops out there that we understand, but the bad cops are giving the police department a black eye right now. Yeah, and, you know, from my perspective, again, to me... It's more systemic. It's more about policies. It's more about the the unions. You know, um, those are the things that need to be changed. And where change comes from is from the top. We have to get Congress, our local officials, everyone involved in order to make these changes. It's the politicians who actually make these changes. 
And so that's who we need to stay on in order to see reform. I agree. So with that being said. With that being said. <laughs> let's wrap it up. All right. Thank, thank you, you, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place with a new topic. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. See y'all later.